Thanks, Anna. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Ming. I'm one of the pastors here at EV. I'm normally up north, but I love coming to visit here at Central. It's great to be here with you all. Uh, and can I just say, if you were invited today, uh, you're not yet a Christian, and, and you chose this topic of the series to come along to, welcome. I'm actually a bit surprised. Church is probably one of the last places most people go to to think about money matters. But don't worry, I'm Asian, and both my parents happened to be accountants. We loved money, and today is Chinese New Year, and it just reminded me how much I love those red packets. <laughs> and what's more, I grew up with all the Asian life hacks on how to save. You know, buying all your Christmas decorations after Christmas. Or, or, or my mum always said this: when we're going to a buffet dinner, don't eat breakfast and lunch. <laughs> Maximum value. <laughs> or what about this one? Have you ever wondered why Asians at Asian restaurants you can always buy like? Awful soup or, or chicken gizzards and stuff like that. It's again. It's because you want to get maximum value out of our meat. Sorry for the vegetarians amongst us. So when it comes to the Asian life hacks on savings,、uh, you name it, I've done it. You can ask me for, for more on those later, because that's not what we're going to talk about today. Now we're not just going to look at people's opinions about money. We're actually going to look at what God has to say about money, like Brian said earlier. And so whether you're a Christian or not, why not join me? And give it a go and and pray, asking God to open our eyes to see what He really has to say and what it means for us. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father,、uh, we thank you so much that you have incredible wisdom, that you made the world and you know us and you know what's best for us and in this world. So we do pray that as we hear your word today,、uh, help us to、uh, see the truth for what it is. And may we apply it to our lives, and may it lead to a transformation like none other, as we bring you glory and look to your Son Jesus for all things. And we pray this in His name, Amen. The Flintstones and the Jetsons were famous cartoons from the 1960s, pretty old. And the Flintstones were about was about the Stone Age family. And the dad Fred worked at a quarry to make ends meet. And it was a full work week, the classic nine to five, Monday to Friday. And when the bell went off, this crazy pterodactyl just just got its tail pulled and went off. And Fred would always go. Yabba yabba do! Work was over, and he could go and do whatever he wanted. He was free. Does your life feel like Fred Flintstone's, or is it more like the futuristic George Jetson? See, the Jetsons was about this family in the future. The dad was apparently born in 2022. That's right. The future was yesterday, last year. <laughs> and George Jetson grew up to work at a tech desk job. At spacely space sprockets, but here's the kicker: Mr. Jetson had three hours of work per day for only three days a week. He only had nine hours of work, and I know what you're thinking: nine hours? I could do that in a day and have a six-day weekend. How great would that be? But what's funny is, lots of things that we envisioned about the future in the Jetsons aren't what the future turned out to be. There were flying cars that that flew at a thousand kilometers per hour and no traffic. There's this robotic maid, and you know my old flat. You know we got a robot vacuum because we were an all boys flat and we were lazy. But believe me, it doesn't even come close to what this maid could have done. The future, according to the cartoon, was a lot more leisurely. It was a world where work was taken off your hands, and you had the freedom to do pretty much whatever you wanted. 
And that's what we envision financial freedom to look like, isn't it? We think, if only I had enough money, then I wouldn't have to work, I wouldn't have to worry about money, and I have the freedom to do whatever I wanted. But the reality is, for most of us, our lives still feel like the Stone Age. We're like Fred Flintstones and just yell yubba dubba do in our heart when work gets off or Friday comes around. And so we're actually going to think about this today. What is it about money that makes us believe it'll lead to freedom? Why do we envision and chase this financially free Jetsons-like future? But more importantly, I want us to actually think, can it deliver on the future we think it'll give us? Now, a lot of us, a lot of people don't give God enough credit when it comes to money. You know, we come to God thinking, all he wants is my money. Let's not go there. But the reality is, God doesn't need our money. The whole universe is at his fingertips. He made the world. Everything belongs to him. He doesn't need our money. But here's the thing. What God does care about is your heart. You see, to God, money isn't a financial issue. It's a heart issue. And that's why Jesus speaks about money more than we ever do as a church. He constantly talks about money, not because he wants your money, but because he wants your heart. See, believing financial freedom will bring satisfaction isn't just a, a head thing like you believe it. It's not just something you can turn off or on and believe or deny. Money is about the heart. It shapes our affections and desires. And whatever you think of Jesus right now, whether you love him, you like him, or you're just trying to figure out who he is, he's getting at something that you cannot deny is true. We're going to look at the passage that Anna read for us to help us see what he's getting at. It's a famous sermon Jesus gave called the Sermon on the Mount. And about halfway through the sermon, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, it's up on the screen, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying that whatever your money goes to, what you're saving up for, that's where your heart is. That's what you love. That's what you really love. And you know that's true for you. We're willing to spend generously on the people and things we love, don't we? And so you can look at my bank statements over the past year, and you can see I really love my kids. I love my son and daughter, Timmy and Penny. I put a photo on the slides of my current favorite photo of them and I. Penny's just nine months. She's, she's experienced Christmas for the first time, and she's trying out all these, all these different foods. And Timmy's two and a half, and he's running around all over the place causing trouble. And if you look at my finances, you'll see how much we've happily spent on toys, on clothing, on prams and car seats. But I'll wager, Angie and I have probably spent the most on nappies. <laughs> Our kids love to poop. Sometimes, I swear they poop more than normal. <laughs> Ange and I, have just, sometimes we've just changed them, and then five minutes later, there's another poop. And we've even got a rating system of how big the poos are. You know, we call them, we've had grenades, we've had bombs, and we've even had nukes. You know, the other week, we went to a week-long Bible conference, and there was a crash with awesome kids' leaders who looked after our kids. But, you know, they don't do nappies for them for obvious reasons, so we gave them our phone number. And it felt like every 15 minutes, <laughs> Ange had to leave the sessions because the kids' leaders were texting her again and again. 
Timmy's done a poo. Timmy's done another poo. <laughs> Call me cheap, but you know, I'm going like, more nappies. <laughs> By the end of the week, the kids' leaders apparently nicknamed Timmy Super Pooper. <laughs> Ange and I have spent thousands of dollars on our kids, but we love them. And if you looked at our finances, you could tell they're a massive part of where our hearts are. You know, I love my wife Angela. You know, I put a picture of my favorite photo with Angela. And when I was thinking about proposing to her, I heard somewhere, you know, some wise wisdom that engagement rings should cost at least three months of your wages. And at the time, I, I had never spent anything that much in my life. So in the lead up to the proposal, I was, I was saving up my pennies and bought an engagement ring. And if you've seen this engagement ring, you'll know how little PhD scholarships really pay. <laughs> But the point is, I love my wife Angela. And if you looked at my finances, you'll see who and what I love. Your bank statement will tell you who or what you love the most. So what do you love? Who are you spending or saving up for? See, I want to suggest we all make money. We work because we want the freedom and power to spend on people and things we love. And so, I first want to say there's something natural and right about our pursuit for money, because we were made to love. We were made in the image of a God who is love. But here's the thing: we were also designed with this insatiable need to love and be loved that can only be filled by God. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in the relationships talk, but if we fall, if we actually often fall into this trap of constantly pursuing money, thinking it's going to give us the freedom to get that thing that will fill the need, our need for love uh, and to love. There's a famous physicist called Blaise Pascal from the 1600s. He's a pretty old guy, and the unit we use to measure pressure is named after him. You know, he grew up with a Christian heritage, as you do back then. But in his adult life, historians and biographers describe him as having a worldly period. It was during this time, for six years, he apparently enjoyed the life of a bachelor, you know, living it up. But it wasn't until he turned 30, after experiencing what life had to offer, he said this. It's up on the screen. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person. Which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person, and that hole can't be filled by any created thing, but only our Creator. And God's made us known, made Himself known by coming as Jesus. Every single one of us was made this way, made to love and be loved, and none of the promises of money. Can fill that need. We keep elevating stuff, elevating people to the status of God, but none of them can fill that gap. But here's the good news: God can, and God wants to. He sent His one and only Son into the world, Jesus, for our sake, to die our death, to meet our greatest need, because He is love and wants us to know and have that love. The funny thing is, most of us don't see things that way. We constantly tell ourselves, "If I had this, or if I had that, then I'd be satisfied. If I earned this much, 
Or if I earn that much, that'd be enough. Now, why is that? This brings us to our next point. See, money isn't just a matter of our hearts; it's also a matter of our eyes. Have a look at Matthew chapter six, verse twenty-two. It's up on the screen. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. See, if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Now, what on earth does that have to do with money? You know, at this point, Jesus is in the middle of talking about money, and all of a sudden, he starts talking about the eyes. What's going on here? Well, it's actually very simple. Jesus is saying, "We've got an eye problem." See, you're in this room now, and there's there's light in this room, and because there's light in this room, you can see people, you can see me, you can see the chairs and then you know the ledges and whatever. So you won't bump into people, you won't trip over. But Jesus is saying. If you're surrounded by a ton of light, if your eyes don't work, you'll be in darkness. Your body can't take in and process that light.、Uh, your whole body is left with darkness. You can't see. And what Jesus is getting at is our attitude to money and what financial freedom looks like ultimately comes from the perspective and lens that we look at things. It's a matter of the eyes. See, there are two ways to look at the world around us, to look at God. One way of looking at the world, one lens, one way of seeing, is that God is generous, and the world is a place where there's enough for me. Some people have that attitude or perspective on life, right? But other people have a very different perspective. They see the world, and they see God as stingy. There isn't enough for me, and so I need more. And my question to you is, what's your view? What's your view of God? You know, very early in the existence of humanity, human beings have always seen God as stingy. There's an account at the start of this eye problem in Genesis chapter three. Satan says to the first humans, "Did, did God really? Did he really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden?" Notice Satan's main game here. He's telling a lie. He's saying God's stingy. His words are arbitrary, and good things are scarce. And lie after lie, Adam and Eve took what was not theirs to take, and human beings have been taking ever since. And it's because of this eye problem we've developed a culture of greed in our world. Because there's not enough. Because God's stingy. We better get what we can when we can get it. And greed is a sneaky thing, isn't it? This eye problem means that we're often oblivious to what's actually going on in our lives. See, the worst thing about greed is that you can be completely oblivious to the way it's slowly bringing devastation to your life. You know, we've been so oblivious to this problem that it's only in the last 20 years some psychologists have started to diagnose people with what they call Affluenza, not influenza, affluenza. In 2005, Clive Hamilton wrote a book with the same title. It's up on the screen, and this is the question he poses in his book: If the economy has been doing so well, this was 15 years ago, by the way, why are we not becoming happier? Well, Jesus tells us it's because we've got an eye problem. We see God as stingy. We think we need more, 
And so we're oblivious to our greed and what it's doing to us. We believe money is going to deliver on something that it can't promise. Now, I've mentioned a couple of times at this point, greed does something to us. What do you think that is? Well, there's lots of things, but let me give you just two. Firstly, it exasperates our eye problem. It makes us short-sighted. So have a look from verse 19. It's up on the screen. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, a couple of things he's not saying. He's not saying you shouldn't own anything. Elsewhere, he talks about not stealing other people's property, so people obviously own things. He's not saying it's wrong to save for a rainy day. You know, the Bible commends the ant for storing up food in summer that it'll need in winter. And thirdly, he's not saying don't enjoy anything. Don't spend money on good things. No, 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 no. The Bible tells us God is the generous giver of good things, and we ought to enjoy the good things of life with thankfulness. So what's Jesus talking about here? Well, he's saying, don't store up for yourselves. He's saying, don't be selfish in the accumulation of your goods. He's challenging the greed of people who don't see the colossal need of the world's underprivileged. He's opposing the fantasy that life is just about the hoarding of resources for yourself. He's talking about the extravagant, luxurious lifestyle of the, that people pursue here in Auckland. And he tells us the problem with this greed is short-sightedness. We don't realize our stuff will get rusty, moth-eaten, and thieves will break in and steal it. You know, in the ancient world when Jesus was talking here, they didn't have mothballs. They didn't have house alarms. Nothing was safe back then. But despite what you and I usually think, we live in a world where our riches are incredibly insecure. We live in a world of, of unemployment, where insurance companies try to not pay up, a world of natural disasters, earthquakes, cyclones, floods that can take everything away in an instant. Terrorist attacks are increasing. There's war on the other side of the planet. All of these make rust Moths and thieves look pretty harmless. And Jesus is saying, you're short-sighted. If you invest all your money in this world, it will not last. It cannot take it. You cannot take it beyond the grave. You know, some of you know about my, my parents. They were hard workers. They saved and they clung to their money and invested wisely. But by the time retirement came around, my mum unexpectedly had a stroke and is now paralyzed. And a year later, a year after my mum had a stroke, my dad suddenly passed away. Money could not help them. It did not lead them to freedom. But when you become a Christian, you get new eyes. You see that reality. And you move from being a taker to a giver. You see there's a way to invest eternally in the gospel and seeing people move from darkness to light. But more importantly, you can actually see God for who he is, generous and trustworthy. So let me ask, what's your attitude to money? How do you look at God and this world? There's more we could talk about there, but I want to spend the rest of our time 
on the second thing greed does to us, because it's tied closely to this to our topic today on financial freedom, and it's that greed enslaves us to money. Money ends up becoming our master. So have a look with me at verse 24. It's up on the screen. No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is saying here, if you see God as stingy, He doesn't love you, then of course you're going to devote yourself to money. But money is an oppressive master. Why would you want to live for it? Our world has sold us a lie. If you just work hard enough, earn enough, you'll have it all. You'll have a life just like the Jetsons. Yet the reality is, we're still not happy. We're not at peace. A recent trend in our world is to say, find a job you enjoy, then it'll never feel like work. You'll just be earning to do what you love anyway. But it's funny, isn't it? Because money does not care whether you find your job fulfilling or meaningful. If you're not performing, you're going to be cut. It doesn't matter how you feel. In the end, if you're not meeting expectations, that HR rep is going to call you up and read that paper saying, "Sorry, it's all business." And you know, despite being the most materialistically prosperous people in the world's history, we aren't satisfied. We don't feel secure. We have an epidemic of anxiety, depression. And loneliness, affluenza. We run after all the stuff, all the experiences we pay for, the holidays we plan. We fill our lives with trifles and trinkets, but they're actually a visible sign that we're not satisfied inside, that those things aren't working. You know what money is like? It's like a sweet nothing. Those things we we keep eating, but they don't make you feel full. I don't know what that might be for you, but for me, it's Pringles. You know, when they say once you pop, you can't stop, they really mean it. <laughs> I could eat a whole tin to myself and still not feel full, and that's what money is like, isn't it? It's a sweet nothing. The next pay rise, or, or job, or wage, or investment promises satisfaction, but we never get it. It's never enough. We run, run, run because it actually leaves us empty. And so, what we thought was actually financial freedom turns into financial slavery, and that's because we're serving the wrong master. Money is an oppressive master, but God isn't. He's gracious, merciful, and kind. Open your eyes to His generosity. Money has never laid down its life for you and your salvation, but God has. Jesus has. He's a good master. He's someone you can trust and give your heart to. So, what master are you going to sign up to serve? The pursuit of more and more money, or the God who finds us and invites us into His family before we've even cleaned up our lives? The other week, I was rewatching some of the Lord of the Rings, right? And and, and I love it. Put a picture on the screen. I love the character Gollum. Okay, Gollum's a great character, and in Lord of the Rings, Gollum is this character who finds the the Ring of Power, and it becomes his precious. And I think what happens to Gollum is an incredible picture of what happens to us when we think financial freedom is where we'll find satisfaction. See, slowly for Gollum, this ring becomes everything to him, and his whole life 
shrinks down to stay focused on this one ring, and he becomes, you know, less of a hobbit, you know, or whatever he is.、Uh, he loses his hair and his teeth. He ends up like the photo I put up. Gollum's so fixated on this ring until he meets Frodo, the main character guy, Frodo, who manages to get this ring somehow. And this is really interesting moment because Gollum comes and tries to steal the ring back, right? But Samwise, Frodo's best friend, says, "Let's kill this wicked creature. Let's kill Gollum. Let's show him no mercy." But do you know what Frodo says? Frodo says, "No, no, no, no. Let's show him mercy." And it's that act of grace, undeserved kindness, that slowly starts to break hold of the ring's power in Gollum's life. Frodo asks Gollum because you know Gollum's a weird name that someone gave him because he always goes, you know, Gollum, Gollum. So Frodo actually asks Gollum, "What's your real name?" And Gollum says, "Smeagol. Smeagol's my name." And so Frodo calls him by his real name. He gives him his identity back. He starts treating him as a hobbit and not the animal he'd become. And slowly over time, Smeagol's life is transformed, and he begins to serve Frodo as his true master. You know, he serves him as a scout. He goes and finds food for him. And there's even one point, one powerful scene, where there's this opportunity. You know, this temptation for Smeagol or Gollum to to take the Ring of Power back. But he says to himself, "Master looks after us now. Master looks after us now." Now, in the end of Lord of the Rings, it doesn't end up very good for Gollum. But isn't it incredible the way Frodo treats Gollum with grace and mercy? That actually begins to untangle his greed and neediness for the Ring of Power, and I want to suggest that's how God's love changes us and our attitude to money and what freedom fully is. He opens our eyes to true goodness, and when we realize God's kindness to us in Jesus, the things we held on to so tightly become way less important. They no, they no longer drive us. We're not enslaved to them anymore, because we have the one thing that matters. And that's being known and loved by God. And so, as we close, I want us to think about this: Do you see God for who He is—generous and merciful—or are you still going to turn a blind eye to Him and think He's stingy? Let me ask: Where is your heart? Can I encourage you to seriously look at your life and reflect on whether you're trusting money's false promises of freedom? Or trust in the God who gave up everything for you. These are our choices: money or Jesus. Who is your master? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that in our blindness we've trusted so many things in this world and elevated to the place of God.、Uh, but we thank you that you've you've spoken through your Word by your Spirit. And tried to open our eyes. You have opened our eyes to see you for who you are, generous and kind, so generous that you gave us your one and only Son, so that we might have that love. We pray that we might see that, and that might transform our lives and live to live for you.、Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful, and if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.